the Merle Haggard blues today. I write songs when I feel this way. I grab my guitar and I play. I got the Merle Haggard blues today. The most ghoulish of greetings to every single one of you wraiths and phantoms. Those tunes are courtesy of the awesome Bobby Maggie, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Last week you heard part one of the Niagara Falls episodes. If you did not listen to that, I recommend you checking that one out before this one, as this is indeed part two. Now, just like last time, the sounds that you hear with the falls of the water, that is what I captured. They're actually just kind of little snippets, like live pictures, so that's why it's short. But you can just hear that water vigorously crashing down and the wind, and it's just really intense stuff for sure. The year is 1952. The blonde bombshell looks past the railing and towards the roaring waters. She sighs, and she steps back. In the background, a man can be heard yelling, Cut! and walks over to the woman. Everything all right, sweetheart? In her sweet voice, she replies, Yes, I just needed a moment. I'm fine now. She takes a deep breath and walks back over to film the shoot. That's a wrap. That blonde bombshell was Marilyn Monroe. And she admitted to others that while filming the movie Niagara, there were at least two times where she had to walk away from the railing and to safety. And I have to say, I looked up Niagara, the movie with Marilyn in it, and it looks really good. I didn't know it even existed. So seems kind of like a suspense thriller kind of thing, murder mystery, perhaps. So I will definitely have to put that on my list of things to watch as the list is forever growing. Now, also, while filming Superman 2 in the 1980s, Actress Margot Kidder, who spent time at the falls, says this, I can see why people jump. There's a draw to the water. I feel like it's pulling me. In 1827, a hotel owner, William Forsyth, and several other hotel owners found themselves in desperate waters. Business was failing. They had to think of something, and it had to be quick. When they put their minds together, a bizarre publicity stunt was created. Forsyth purchased an old merchant ship. Now, I don't know what they thought they would achieve by doing this. And as an animal lover, mm -mm, I'm not okay with it. It hurts me. But these businessmen filled the merchant ship that was called the Michigan with animals. Raccoons. Bears. Foxes, geese, buffalo, and several other creatures. The animal-filled ship is sent over the falls. Now, 10,000 tourists, and in their eyes, potential customers and future guests, and their checkbooks, of course, ka witness this event. Before it takes the plunge, two black bears are able to escape through a broken hull. 
With the exception of one animal, all the other creatures on board perish. The lone survivor? That's right, a goose. While human life was not lost that day, several sweet, furry creatures were, and that is not to be forgotten. The next fatality I want to talk about. A movie could be made about it. When I found this story, I was in shock. And when you hear it, you'll you'll find out why. I found a neat piece from playwright and novelist William Dean Howells. He was a young man when this event happened. And I want to read some of that piece now for it takes us back into time on that fateful night back in 1853. All night long they heard in the houses beside the shore, heard or seemed to hear through the multitudinous roar, out of the hell of the rapids, asked were a lost soul's cries, heard and could not believe, morning mocked their eyes, showing where wildest and fiercest the waters leapt and ran, raving around him and past the visage of a man clinging or seeming to cling to the trunk of a tree that caught fast in the rocks below scarce out of the surges rot was it life could it be to yon slender hope that clung shrill above all the tumult the answering terror rung so in 1853 Joseph Avery and two unidentified men. They're out one day working on a barge. Besides work, there was definitely some play and in the form of drink. Now, I don't know if it was just a couple or if they had a major buzz going or what have you, but somehow, in their minds, they wanted to row on over to nearby Goat Island, a small, uninhabited island. But tourists, they're more than welcome to go there, enjoy the footpaths and, you know, what the nature provides you, what have you. While attempting the rowing of the boat, it capsizes. Well, the two unidentified men, they go right over the edge of the American Falls. Now, American Falls may not be the largest of the three falls at Niagara, but she is deadly. The two men fall to their untimely deaths. Joseph Avery has no time to mourn the loss of his two friends, men that remain unidentified to this very day. He is in for the fight of his life. And fight he does. He manages to find a large rock that has grass tree roots. Under the weltering rapids, a boat from the bridge is drowned. Over the rocks, the line of another are tangled and wound. And the long, fateful hours of the morning have wasted soon, as it had been in some blessed trance, and now it is noon. Hurry now with the raft, but oh, build it strong and staunch. And to the mines and treacherous rocks, look well as you launch. Over the foamy tops of the waves and their foam-spent sides. Over hidden reefs and through the embattled tides. Onward rushes the raft with many a lurch and leap. Lord, I fit strike him loose from the hold he scarce can keep. No, through all peril unharmed, it reaches him harmless at last. And to its proven strength he lashes his weakness fast. Now for the shore, but steady, steady, my men, and slow. 
taut now, the quivering lines now slack and let her go. Thronging the shores around stand the pitying multitude. Wan his own are their looks, and a nightmare seems to brood. Heavy upon them, and heavy the silence hangs on all, save the rapid's plunge and the thunder of the fall. But on a sudden thrills from the people still and pale, chorusing his unheard despair, a desperate wail. Cut on a lurking point of rock, it sways and swings, sport of the pitiless waters, the raft to which he clings. And clings he does. This is the part that shocks me. Not only the fact that he wasn't swept over immediately like his two comrades, but he clinged on to that rock, to those grass tree roots for, get this, 18 hours. Like, oh my God, I bet every single minute seemed like an eternity. 18 hours. And this is no calm watering hole, no kiddie pool or a beach on a calm day. Forget about it. This is Niagara Falls. Water constantly roaring by. To give you an idea, on Horseshoe Falls alone, 375,000 gallons of water drop per second. And that doesn't account for what the other two, American Falls and Bridal Veil Falls, produces. Several rescue attempts would be made to save the clinging life of Mr. Joseph Avery. All the afternoon it idly swings and sways, and on the shore the crowd lifts up its hands and they pray lifts to heaven and rings to the hand so helpless to save. Praise for the mercy of God on him whom the rock and the wave, battered for, fettered betwixt them, and who amid their strife, struggles to help his helpers and fights so hard for his life, tugging at rope and at reef while men weep and women swoon, priceless second by second, so once the afternoon and... It is sunset now, and another boat the last. Down to him from the bridge through the rapids is safely passed. A boat comes with the hopes of relieving Avery from that rock that for several hours had become his home for almost a day. That rock has become his savior. When he gets on the boat, for a moment he feels, huh, a deep breath, right? I'm able to live and see another day, tell the, the people this crazy adventure I was just on. But he is sorely mistaken, as if a child runs to an ant with a mischievous grin on his little face with a magnifying glass in his hand, and a crueler fate is waiting for Joseph Avery, for he will now be reunited with his two friends very, very soon. The last of the poem, and I think you know where this is heading. Wild through the crowd comes flying, a man that nothing can stay. Manning against the gate that is locked, athwart his way. Wild with wide arms of imploring, he calls aloud to him. Unto the face of his brother, scarce seen in the distance dim. But in the roar of the rapids, his fluttering words are lost. As in a wind of autumn, the leaves of autumn are tossed. And from the bridge he sees his brother sever the rope holding him to the raft and secure in his hope. Seize all, as in a dream, the terrible pageantry. Populous shores, the woods, the sky, the birds flying free. 
Seize then the form that spent with effort and fasting and fear, flings itself feebly and fells of the boat that is lying so near. Caught in the baffled clutch of the rapids and rolled and hurled, headlong on the cataract's brink and out of the world. Out of the world, the rescue boat that Joseph Avery climbs onto Unfortunately, it capsizes. First his first boat capsizes, and now this one. Like, how insane is that? A horrible twist of fate. After holding on for 18 hours, and with the thought of being rescued, this time Avery does get swept away down the unforgiving falls. The rock he clung onto is now known as Avery's Rock. Now, I tried to find out what happened to the people that were on that rescue boat. Like, did they die? Were they rescued? I unfortunately couldn't find anything about that, but I could only hope and assume that if they died, they too, like Avery, would have been mentioned. So I'm assuming that they were rescued. In 1875, a man named Matthew Webb was thrown into the spotlight when he became the first person to swim the English Channel. While that swim proved to be successful and making him famous, that would not be the case at Niagara Falls. Fast forward eight years, he attempts to swim through the Whirlpool Rapids that's below the falls and he drowns. The crowd is large. The game, it's intense. The year is 1894. The Phillies are winning. Baseball is the game. But to these men, it's not a game. Sir, no, sir! No! It's so much more than that. The crowd, they cheer wildly as one of the superstars, Big Ed, comes to bat. You can hear the echo as the bat hits the baseball. And off he goes. Oh, what a hit. Big Ed has done it again, folks. The crowd absolutely goes wild. Ed Delahanty, known by friends, family, and fans as Big Ed. He was an American professional baseball player. He played for both the Philadelphia Quakers and the Phillies and Cleveland Infants and the Washington Senators. Well, Ed was on hard times. He was depressed He was huge into gambling. He owed people a lot of money. Actually, on the off-season, I believed it was 60 pounds that he had gained. He just wasn't doing so good. One night, Big Ed had one too many to drink after drinking shot after shot after shot of whiskey. He becomes violent on a train, and he starts threatening people with a straight razor. He's not in his right mind. This isn't him. The conductor had quite enough of this behavior. Famous baseball player or not, he will not tolerate this kind of behavior on his train. They kick him off and he starts making his way across the International Railway Bridge. His body will soon be found at the bottom of Niagara Falls, right near the Maid of the Mist, two weeks later. Now, it's unsure if he jumped in or fell in and was swept to his death. Several people believe that he was indeed murdered. 
Witnesses saw an unknown man stalking the baseball player. His body was badly mangled. One of his legs was severed. To this day, his death remains a mystery. He was only 35 years old when his body was found at Niagara Falls. In 1920, English barber and daredevil Charles Stevens, also known as Demon Barber of Bedminster, became the first person to die going over the falls in a barrel. Horseshoe Falls and her deadly drop awaited Stevens. Bobby Leach and local hero Red told the anxious daredevil to take his time. Test out your barrel, man. I mean, what do they know? They only have both been over the falls before and lived to share their harrowing tales, but, you know, sadly it was told to deaf ears. Charles uses an anvil for weight. (gasps) Not only did he strap himself to the barrel, but he strapped in his feet to the anvil. This would be the last thing he does in his life, as it proves to be an excruciatingly painful and quite the deadly mistake. Upon impact, the barrel is dragged under the falls, and at this point, the anvil breaks through the barrel's bottom. His body? Well, that's never recovered. The only thing they found was a severed right arm, which is buried at Drummond Hill Cemetery, the same one as Carl Sukik. After his death, the demon barber of Bedminster receives a Darwin Award, and it's no compliment, my friends. It defines one as a recognized individual who contributed to human evolution by selecting themselves out of the gene pool by dying due to his own actions. In 1929, Sam Patch, an avid waterfall jumper, will make his last final jump. He jumps off Genesee Falls. He disappears into the bottom of the falls and he is not seen again until four months later when his decomposed body is found seven miles down the Genesee River. The following year after Patch's death, enter George Strathicus and his pet turtle. The year is 1930. And the Greek immigrant is excited to go down the falls in the barrel with his beloved little pet turtle. Sadly, upon impact, the barrel becomes stuck behind a curtain of water. The barrel holding man and turtle would not be able to be rescued for about 18 hours. His barrel had an air supply for eight. He indeed survives the fall, but sadly he dies due to suffocation. When they open the barrel, they find George dead, but his pet turtle, Sonny Boy, who at the time was 105 years old, he was very much alive. In 1934, 30-year-old Ruth Hyde was riding the Spanish Aereo cable car that runs over the Whirlpool. All is fine and seems normal. It's a beautiful day. People are happy. They're enjoying themselves. No one's paying close attention to her because she's not raising any red flags at this point. Well, all is fine and normal until the woman stands up on her seat, takes a final drag of her cigarette, tosses it down below and plunges in after it, falling, no, diving to her death. 
One passenger who witnessed the horrible event that day says that Ruth, quote, dived as gracefully as a good diver in the water, unquote. The year is 1960. James Honeycutt is on his fishing boat enjoying a day on the water with his niece and nephew. Their boat propeller gets lost not too far from Horseshoe Falls. James and his nephew, Roger Woodward, both go over the falls. While the seven-year-old Roger luckily survives the terrifying fall, his uncle James, he's not so fortunate and he does die. In 1981, one hot August day, the youngest victim, a two-month-old, goes over Horseshoe Falls. His body was never located. The day seemed normal enough. People were out and enjoying the falls, taking pictures, laughing, holding hands, just being happy. The woman holding her infant, no one paid attention to them as they didn't to one another. The woman goes to the railing. And after that, it's speculation. Some claim to have seen her throw the baby over the railing and in the deadly waters down below. Others believe that the baby accidentally went over, started fidgeting in her arms, and she couldn't keep it under control, and it fell. The mother, she's hysterical, understandably so, and taken to the hospital where she is sedated. She argued that she suffers from time to time from anxiety and dizzy spells and that it was purely an accident. I believe that she was actually charged with secondary murder, but the charges were ultimately dropped when they couldn't find anything on her. In 1990, Jesse Sharp goes over Horseshoe Falls in a canoe. After impact, he disappears into the falls. Shortly after, his canoe was found, but his body was never recovered. He was not wearing a life jacket, and he refused to wear a helmet due to the fact that the cameras couldn't see his face. A very fatal mistake. Five years after the canoe death, a man named Robert Overacre, a trained stuntman, rode a jet ski at full speed right over, you named it, Horseshoe Falls. His rocket propelled parachute fails to deploy, however. Police believe he died upon impact. Besides doing the stunt, he was a voice for the homeless, and he was doing this stunt actually to raise awareness for homeless people. In 2012, a 19-year-old exchange student was swept over Horseshoe Falls. Niagara Park Police survey the camera, and what they see is every parent's worst nightmare. Seriously. The teenager she is seen on camera climbing onto the railing near the dangerous edge. She sits down on a pillar where she stays for quite some time. She then stands up and loses her footing and she falls over the edge. Her location? It was a 66-foot drop. Her body will be recovered four days later. She had a camera in one hand and an umbrella in the other. Her friends described the young woman as adventurous and even reckless. Sounds like it was an accident and not a suicide. And the reason I say that is because not only did her friends say that she was always adventurous and reckless, but she had a camera in her hand and an umbrella in the other. And I'm not a pro or anything, but for me, if I were wanting to, you know, end things, 
I wouldn't care if it was raining and pouring on me. I wouldn't need that umbrella. You know, I was going to be gone soon. So why need it? And a camera. Why take pictures to look at them later when you won't be able to look at them later? So in my opinion, I think this probably was, sadly, just an accident gone wrong, you know? April 19th, 2017, a man named Kirk goes over the falls for the second time. His first time was on October 22nd, 2003. Good day, folks. That's my birthday. (laughs) He survives that fall. And when asked why he went over, first he says he was driven by depression, wanting to end his life. But he would later recant the statement, saying that it was a stunt. He's fined and banned from all Ontario parks. But that doesn't stop him from going one last time. This time, however, he chooses to go over in a large inflatable ball. It's seen spinning in the rapids above American Falls, and he goes over. Later on, his ball is found empty by the Maid of the Mists. His body is recovered by Lake Ontario on June 2nd. Many more deaths are connected to Niagara Falls. And with all that has happened here, the freak accidents, the suicides, the stunts gone wrong, it's no shocker that Niagara Falls State Park is considered quite haunted. Many believe some of the people who died here still roam the area. I can see why. One such spirit is known only as the Hat Man. He wears a tall hat and is missing a leg from his knee down. Many people throughout the years have approached him asking if he is all right or if he needs any sort of assistance, only for him to fade away, vanishing right before their very eyes. And it's not just the state park, but the town of Niagara Falls itself has many, many haunted locations. Take, for instance, Drummond Hill Cemetery. Some of the folks who died while attempting to go over the falls, they're buried here. The cemetery is the site of the War of 1812 in Niagara Falls, and it was an intense, bloody battle. Apparitions of soldiers have been seen wandering throughout the Sea of Headstones. In addition to the apparitions, people have experienced seeing balls of light, mists, unexplainable lights, and the feeling of being watched. Been there. Houses around the cemetery are believed to be haunted by spirits of the soldiers as well. And other Niagara haunts include the Screaming Tunnel. Now, long ago, it was used for farmers to transport their animals safely under the railway. Now, supposedly, a girl died there, and you can still hear her screams from time to time. According to a local historian, long ago, a woman who was in an unhappy marriage and was possibly abused by her husband lived in the area. To vent her anger safely, she would walk through the woods and the tunnel and scream her lungs out. You know, first it scared the people who lived nearby, like, oh my God, what's that? Sounds like someone's being murdered or someone's getting hurt to say the least. But once they knew the cause of it and heard so many times, they got used to it eventually. If one could get used to something like that. I would, I would probably buy myself a good set of like, you know, noise canceling headphones, but you know, that's just me. 
This tunnel has many legends behind it. Whatever the case, to this day, people swear that they hear horrible screams coming from that tunnel. And nearby is a cave known as Devil's Hole State Park. And when you go there, it looks beautiful and inviting, but it holds on to a dark and deadly and very bloody secret. The area is believed by many to be cursed, as something gut-wrenching and horrible happened many, many moons ago. In 1763, 80 British soldiers were found dead, floating in the Niagara River. They were attacked by hundreds upon hundreds of Seneca Indians. This incident is known as the Devil's Hole Massacre. Belief is that this horrific event conjured up an evil spirit who now lives in the cave. Many of the locals and tourists believe that if you go into that cave, you will be cursed. Access denied. Also, for those who are curious and do want to go and don't mind the whole curse thing, it's been known to be slippery and a tricky climb. So if you do go, tread lightly. Be careful. Don't get hurt. And last, I thought I'd end with a haunted hotel. So if you do end up going out that way and you want to go to Niagara Falls State Park or just Niagara Falls in general, you have a place to stay and maybe make some ghostly friends. You might want to go check out the Red Coach Inn as it has a bunch of paranormal happenings going on there. Their Victoria Suite is haunted by a female. Legend has it that this woman was murdered here long ago. It was supposed to be the happiest day in her life, the day of her wedding. That night, while in their honeymoon suite, no one truly knows what took place, but things escalated really quickly, and it turned into a night of frenzied violence. And by the end of the night, the newlyweds were no more. The husband severed the hours-old marriage by murdering her. Whether this tale is accurate or not, there is a spirit of a woman here. Many people throughout the years have seen the woman's apparition. Some have woken up to seeing her standing by their bed. Some have felt something getting into bed with them. While others have heard what sound like cat sounds coming from the room. On occasion, she will angrily charge at unsuspecting men. So go to Niagara. And you might just run into some spirits and have an encounter of your own. And if you do, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. Last week and this week in both episodes, the topic of suicide was mentioned. Some survived and some did not. If you or someone you know is dealing with depression or suicidal thoughts, call the hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls State Park or any of the local haunts mentioned and want to share a spooky encounter? If so, I would love to hear about it. Throw an email my way at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me via Twitter at Paraprowlers and Paranormal Prowlers on Facebook. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen 
anytime, especially right now, by hitting up any of the podcast platforms such as Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podcast Republic, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, basically wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooktastic podcast, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background, my lovelies. This week's special city shoutouts go to Yuma, Arizona, Antelope, Oregon, Sunderland, England, Union, Ohio, and McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Thank you, as always, for stopping by and taking a listen to Paranormal Prowlers podcast. You guys are all rock stars. We will see you next week.